You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, Merry Christmas and God's blessings to you as we rejoice in this feast of the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoicing that God has taken upon himself our flesh and blood so that he might be our brother and also that he would be our savior. Tonight I want to consider most especially the gospel that we heard and especially in this text the fear of the shepherds. We remember that the, that the shepherds were there watching their flock uh, outside of Bethlehem in the middle of the night and the angels appeared before them and the text says they were greatly afraid. It's emphatic, especially in the Greek. They, they feared with great fearful fear. <laughs> They were terrified of it. Now, I I think for us, fear comes in a lot of different shapes. Uh, There's a lot of different flavors of fear. There's the fear of simply being shocked, being uh, kind of struck by by some sort of awe. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, Andrew and I were on the back porch and we were watching this hailstorm and a bolt of lightning hit the tree in the backyard. Bam! And both of us jumped about four feet in the air. Andrew jumped four feet. I took it in stride. (laughs) In fact, I I was so worked up that I started running around the backyard like a crazy man. And Carrie said, come, get inside. What are you? You're going to get hit again. So that's one type of fear. You know, blam, like that. And there's certainly something like that with the angels uh, as they appear to the shepherds. Kind of a, you know, they're they're sitting there in the dark and they're not expecting anything like this. And then all of a sudden, there's angels in front of them. But there's something more than that, that sort of sudden fear that comes upon the angels that we see all through the scriptures. Whenever, whenever the angels appear to people or whenever the glory of God appears to people, there's something added to it. It's not just the fear that all of a sudden you might die, but, but something more. When the glory of God is there, that fear is mixed with the fear of judgment. The fear of standing before God. The fear of the last day. When, when, when all of the wrongs that have ever been done, when all of the wrong things that we've ever done will be finally brought to light. When the Lord, it says, Paul says it like this in Corinthians, when the Lord will disclose all of the secrets of the heart. When, when everything that we've done wrong, everything that we've said wrong, everything that we've thought wrong, when all of our sins are, are brought out and, and, and the Lord will pronounce a judgment over us. Now that, that is a frightful day. I'd suggest that there's nothing more terrifying than that day. And the only way I think that we could live with that fear is that we put it off. It's not here, at least it's not today. The judgment for us is not yet. I heard uh, one guy say that the reason why there's so many uh, old and elderly people in church is because they know that that judgment day is getting closer and they go to church to cram for the final exam. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think that's true. But there's something about that, that there's a fear of judgment that is alive in each one of us, even though we try to push it down and ignore it. And it is what we call the conscience. In fact, it's what we call a bad conscience. We might not even recognize it. But having a bad conscience shapes absolutely everything in our lives. It shapes our dreams when we're asleep. 
It shapes our hope for the future. It shapes our conversation with one another. It, it shapes the way that we taste food. Everything is affected by a bad conscience. I, I read a book one time. It was called The Revenge of the Conscience. It's a particularly interesting idea that even when we ignore our conscience, it's there in secret, doing its work, troubling us, showing us how we've sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So we want to face up to it. We want to think about it. Some of us, I suspect, have a bad conscience according to the fifth commandment. We're angry. There's a whole list of people that we're angry with, that we're upset about. Or some of us have a bad conscience according to the sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery by committing sexual immorality. Some of us might have a bad conscience because of the fourth commandment. Things are not well with us and our parents or us and our children. We're rebellious or whatever. Some of us have a bad conscience because of the seventh commandment, because we've stolen stuff, because we're greedy. Some of us have a bad conscience because of the third commandment, because we haven't been in church in months or years. Or the eighth commandment, because we're gossips and backbiters. Or the second commandment, because we neglect our prayers. Or the ninth and tenth commandments, because we complain about everything. Or the first commandment, we doubt God's Word. We might even doubt God Himself. And all of this troubles us. It gives us a bad conscience. And a bad conscience steals away the joy of life. It makes us, uh, it, it makes us timid. It, it causes us to live a life of fear. There's a verse in Numbers. Luther uh, used to love this, to talk about this text. This verse in Numbers that says that uh, the people who are timid and they're afraid and they'll run even when they hear the shaking of a leaf. <laughs> this is the bad conscience. Uh, uh, the, uh, Proverbs says it. Solomon says it like this in Proverbs. He says that the wicked run when no one is chasing after them. But the righteous stand as bold as a lion. Now, there was a picture of the conscience in the ancient church that I think is particularly helpful. It pictures the conscience like a window. If you can imagine it, I'm sure all of you keep your uh, car windows very clean, so you have to imagine that you're driving with me in my truck and the window's dirty, right? And when you have a dirty window, what happens is everything on the outside looks dirty and everything on the inside also looks dirty. I remember one time I was uh, growing up, I think it was actually only one time that this ever happened when I was vacuuming the floor and I was trying to get this spot out and I was going over this spot back and forth and I couldn't get the spot out and I went down and I couldn't, and I couldn't figure it out until finally I realized that what it was was a spot on the window that was making a shadow on, on the carpet. <laughs> now, do you see that this is what a bad conscience does? A bad conscience makes everything outside of you seem, seem dirty seem unclean, uh, seem frightful. The whole world seems like it's out to get you. If you have a bad conscience and you're driving and you're running late to work and you get three red lights in a row and now you're sure that it's God punishing you. You see what a bad conscience does? Everything now is testifying against you. And not only that, but a bad conscience also makes everything on the inside seem dirty, seem wrong, seem unclean. It causes us to despair, to, to try to fight for some sort of self-esteem, but it seems like there's nowhere to grab onto, and it's like it's, it's, everything's slippery. And, and if, the, if the window gets dirty enough, you know what starts to happen? Is you start to see your own reflection in it. 
It starts to function like a mirror. And now, and now with a bad conscience, you start to see your own sins and your own guilt and the things that you've done wrong. You start to see that in other people. Your own greed, you see now everywhere else, all the other greedy people. Your own anger, you see in the people that are around you. And it twists and contorts your vision of the world and of yourself and of God. Because if you have a bad conscience, you're convinced that God is out to get you. That that last day will come for you like a burning oven. That you are going to be damned, cast into the eternal fires of hell. That is true fear, terror, that comes from a bad conscience. Now, a clean conscience, by the way, is like a clean window. But look, just like a bad conscience makes everything outside look dirty and everything inside look dirty, a clean window doesn't make everything outside look clean, everything inside look clean, but rather a clean window lets you see a thing like it is. The the dirty things look dirty. And the clean things look clean, both outside and inside. So it is with us. With a clean conscience, we're able to say, that's right and that's wrong, that's beautiful and that's ugly, that's true and that's false, both in the world around us and also in ourselves. A clean conscience sets us free. A clean conscience makes us bold. It lets us know that the whole world is ours. The picture that the prophet Malachi, and we were preaching about this this last week, the picture that Malachi uses of a clean conscience is like a calf leaping from the stall, just bounding around, rejoicing in the bounty of the Lord. Now, I'd like to suggest that the gift that Jesus wants for us tonight is this gift, a clean conscience, that each and every one of us would leave this place with our conscience washed, clean, pure, and holy. But how do we get there? How do you get a clean conscience? There's an old logic that is bound up to your sinful flesh, to mine too, that says that the way we get a clean conscience is through our works. In fact, there's a Latin name for it. The old theologians called this the opinio legis, the opinion of the law. And it says that if God is mad at me because of the things that I've done wrong, then he will be happy with me because of the things that I've done right. Now that logic is the basis of every man-made religion, of every man-made attempt to be right with God. It says that a good deed done every day will make up for the bad deeds that we do. And that to be judged and found uh, worthy to go to eternal life, we simply have to balance out the bad that we've done with the good that that we do. That we have to pile up enough good works so that we can make God happy. That he will be pleased with us. And, And this opinion would have us face the last day, the judgment day, on our own two feet. Presenting to God on the last day, a big pile of our own good works. And this, dear friends, is destined for failure. It cannot work. You cannot save yourself. It's impossible. You could try. With all your energy, with all your might, with all your wealth, with all your everything, you could try. But the Scriptures say clearly that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That every single one of us is guilty, and your conscience bears witness to this. 
So what hope is there for us? And how do we overcome this fear? How do we have a clean conscience? We find this in the preaching of the angels. Because while the glory of the angels shone around the shepherds, they were afraid. But as soon as the angels started preaching, their fear turns to wonder. (laughs) Their fright turns to faith. And the preaching goes like this. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. There is, for the shepherds watching their flock at night, good news of great joy, because there is for them a baby, a child, a Savior. And there is good news for you, too. Because this same child, this same baby, is your Jesus, your Savior. The one who was only found in the manger for a while, but at last made his way to the cross for you. For you. Who shed his blood for you. Who suffered God's wrath for you. So that all of the guilt that echoes around in your conscience, that testifies to you of your own worthiness of God's judgment, all of it has been spent on Christ. It's been laid upon Him, and He has suffered for it, and He has died for it, and He comes to you with this good news tonight, that I forgive you all your sins, that all of the things that you have done wrong will not be held against you. And on the day of judgment, when Jesus comes and we appear before him, he will not lay out all of the wrong things that we've done, all of the words that we shouldn't have said, all of the thoughts that we shouldn't have had, all of the good deeds that we neglected. No, what will be laid out in front of God will be the blood of Jesus, which testifies of your innocence and of your holiness, of your purity, and of God's delight in you. This is how we have a clean conscience. The the stains that you have put on the windows of your conscience can only be washed away by the blood of Jesus. But his blood has been spilt so that you will be saved. His life has been spent so that you would be redeemed. Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day was born in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. Amen. And the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.